What's going on gamers? Welcome back to the Graveyard. I am the Graveyard Gamer and I am excited to finally present my review for the latest game in a series that I love, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Now if you've been following this show for a while, you know that I've been playing this game since launch. It has dominated most of my graveyard shifts and after almost 7 months to the day of playing and 175 hours worth it's time for me to finally give that final review. Now I'm going to talk about the good, the bad, and honestly the great. And when it's all said and done, I'm going to tell you where it falls on my list of Assassin's Creed games. So with that being said gamers, let's jump in for the graveyard review of Assassin's Creed Valhalla. So gamers, let's just start off with the graphics. So that's the first thing you're going to see in this game. And listen, it starts in the frozen cold area of Norway. And I got to say, it's actually really good looking because you see the northern lights in the sky. The snow has, you know, it's got the fluff in some areas, but it's also got that icy look to it where I've been in the places where it snows a lot. And when the wind blows a lot, it almost like snow becomes very iced over. And that's what it's got this look to it. The snow does have a realistic way of forming around you. Now, I will say it's not as good as something as in Red Dead Redemption 2, but it does look very realistic as well. Now, I also have to point this out. It is very easy to be fooled in the beginning of this game thinking that graphically, it's a step down from Odyssey. I'll be honest. I kind of thought that same thing as well. But once I got to England, I was constantly floored. First off, it's not going to have those bright colors that Odyssey did have. And I'm comparing it to Odyssey because it was the last game in the series and Odyssey was a beautiful game. These colors are more earthly brown. And I'm going to tell you what right now, the details in this game are amazing. And that comes from the looks of each area you go to because each region almost has its own unique style to it. Maybe it's more woodsy, maybe it's more open plains, whatever it may be. But my word, it's beautiful. There are so many times I had to stop and take a screenshot because the sun is just coming through the trees and the woods. The way the water looks as it's breaking and moving. The character models, their faces, especially the main cast, are so good. Now when you get to like the NPCs in the game, you know, they're not as strong, but they still look really well. And I have to also say, Eivor's cape? Man, I mean, there's so much detail with wrinkled and the way it moves. Looks awesome. I will point out that I played two-thirds of this game on a base model PS4, and I love the graphics on that. Guys, when I jumped up to my PS5 to play the last third, I was blown away by how much detail, like more detail was out there, and the colors and all that. I mean, when you take into account how massive this game is, how big this area is that this game is covering, and then how many systems are running in the background, I mean, this is one of the best-looking games I've ever played. So guys, now let's talk about the story. One of my favorite parts of this game, and in this game you're playing is Eivor the Wolf Kissed, a Viking, male or female. You get to choose that. Either you can choose it at the beginning of the game, or you can choose it at any time in the game. Or in a really cool twist, you can let the game choose for you at different points. Are you male or female? Now, Eivor, who at a young age is orphaned, and when this happens, you're actually going to be taken into the Raven Clan, where you're going to end up becoming your second to your quote-unquote older brother, who is the king's son. Now, due to some issues that happen in Norway as you guys get older, and you're going to be introduced to Basim, who is a member of the Hidden Ones, who, if you're a fan of the series, you know they end up becoming the assassins. Well, you're going to end up going to start a settlement in England. Now, this is where the story really kicks off proper, because the story is going to be about building up your clan by forging alliances with different Viking clans and Saxon kingdoms in the area to help expand and secure your settlement's position. 
During this time, you're also going to be working with Basim and his apprentice Hytham and tracking down members of the Order of the Ancients, which, if you remember from Origins and Odysseys, those are the precursors to the Templars. And I will say this, I'm not going to talk about it, but I will say that ending of the Order of the Ancients storyline in this game, very well done. Now, as Eivor's reputation grows along with Raventhorpe's involvement in many different areas of England, new conflicts are going to rise. This is going to cause the storyline of growing alliances and taking down the order to become more entwined. And I got to say, I loved it when these things happened because one of the things about Odyssey that I always said is it was so far removed from Assassin's Creed that it didn't feel like an Assassin's Creed game. Well, this game, it really does. It'll kind of skirt that line where you go for a while without really dealing with something that's more tied into the lore and then bam, they bring it right back, they tie it together, and I love that about it. One of my favorite things, that happens about three times where you go on these story arcs, they're set in cities, not the full area of England that you're going into, but just in one city, and when you're there, you're going to be taking out maybe two, three, maybe even four Order of the Ancient members. Those were some of my favorite. It was a big callback to the original Assassin's Creed because I felt like you're just in this one city, and you're trying to find these clues of who these people are, the best way to take them out. I absolutely loved when we would get these stories. And the cool thing is, again, they did tie into the bigger picture of forging those alliances. Now, one of the things we've started doing in Origins and Odysseys is have some mythological adventures. And you get that in this game because as you build up your settlement, you'll eventually get a seer. And she'll give you a potion that'll let you go to Asgard. And you'll go to Asgard and eventually Jotunheim. And when you're there, you're going to get to live the glory days of Odin dealing with Thor and Loki and all kind of different fun stuff. I'm going to be honest with you guys. They somewhat seem out of place at first, but believe me, and I'm being very serious when I say this, they are extremely vital to the story. That being said, you're also going to get a chance to go to Vinland, and Vinland is really cool. I was really kind of, when I got there, the setup at first, I was like, oh man, but man, I loved my time in Vinland. It was awesome. It's got a great, great callback to a previous Assassin's Creed game. Now, during all of this, you're also going to see several smaller stories happen at your settlement from time to time. And this is really cool because it helps grow your ties to the settlement. As a player, you feel more inclined to go back there. You're also going to develop some friendships with some awesome characters and even some romantic relationships. You can pull off having a couple of different girlfriends. I thought was pretty cool. That being said, let me talk about Eivor a little bit because I actually thought he was a great character. I did play as the male character. I had switched a few times and played as the female character. I know that she is the canon version of Eivor. However, I gotta be honest, and it's not in an acting way, it's just in a dictation way and how they spoke. I just really kind of enjoyed the male Eivor better. I think he just kind of fit with how I would say things and do things in the game. But... I also say a lot of the characters in this game are great, including your brother, Sigurd, uh, Basim, Randiv, and some villains like Folky, King Alfred, even Layla in the present day, because I've not been a big fan of her, but I absolutely love what they did with the present day. Now, a lot of you will be happy to know the present day is still very, very small. In fact, I think you only get pulled out of the Animus once in the beginning, and then once toward the end of the game. I mean, it's a very little amount of time. You do have the option to exit the Animus at any time, which I highly recommend every, you know, couple of story arcs, just to go and check and see if there's any new emails or any new dialogue to be hearing. But most of the time for the game, the modern day is probably like 3%. Like, it's a very small amount. 
but they do such a great job with it. I love it. I'm a huge fan of the modern day and the lore of the series. And this is awesome because while the past has very strong ties to Assassin's Creed 1 through 3, the present day does such a great job of making sense of both the present day in Odyssey and Origins, while also tying in and connecting to so many of Bahala's Itsu plot points. I mean, it's just really well done how they tie it together. You actually feel like, wow, there's been a plan for the present day for a very long time. And I'll be honest with you, I cannot wait to see where this franchise goes moving forward. Because, oh, the way it ends, whew. I'd love to get more detailed, guys, but it'd be huge spoilers, and I can't do that. I can't ruin some of this for some of you guys. Now, I will say this, even smaller things like standing stones that you find in the game, Excalibur that I've mentioned, guys, that's all connected, and it's amazing, and I just was blown away over and over again. And I will say this, there's over 20 story arcs in this game, and I did not feel like any of them were bad. But, and guys, there is a but, this game is long. And honestly, it might just be too long. Now, you might even ask me, how can I say that after saying that I don't feel like any story arc was bad? And that's because I feel like Ubisoft needed to do some editing. I've mentioned to Hulking Yoda over at Lost at Sea Gaming, a podcast here on Anchor, to check that him out. I compared this game to like a movie. When you think about a movie, when they film that movie, they film a lot more than two hours worth. And while some of that might be amazing stuff, the director has the job of going down there and making that movie into presentable time. I do feel like that needed to be done here. I think the game director should have kind of made some hard cuts. Now, for example, there's not story arcs that need to be cut, but I do think they could have went in there and trimmed out some of the missions. And the reason I say that is when you get toward the end of the game, I think two out of the last five missions, I was kind of like, you know, this would have been cool in the beginning of the game, but at the end, because it's more of lightheartedness, I don't really want to do this. I don't want to be running around trying to cause people to calm down and not be too drunk or whatever it may be. Again, if there had been half the story arcs, I probably would have had no problem with this. But since there's so much and it's all good, some of the stuff like that just kind of feels like, man, it just feels out of place. So I think some shortening could have been done. Again, though, I have to point out that none of them are bad. And if you look at each story arc separately... I don't think that there's any that you're going to like, that was dumb or that was bad. But when you put them all together and there's so many of them, I just think it becomes something where most people would say, I wish Ubisoft would have just slimmed it down a little bit. We don't need to take it all away, but you could have slimmed it down some. So let's talk about gameplay, guys, because that's what's important. That's what you're going to be doing, right? So in this game, it's a lot like the two previous games in this trilogy of Assassin's Creed games, if you will. You're going to be doing your fair share of fighting, stealth, and parkour. R1, L1 are going to be your primary weapons attacks because dual wielding is in this game along with bringing back shields. And at first, guys, I didn't enjoy dual wielding. I really had no use for it. But once I got the feel for it, the more I upgraded myself, I absolutely loved it. In fact, I loved it so much that even though shields are in this game and in the beginning, I really loved using a shield. I was so into dual wielding that I, I didn't even use shields. I just kind of put them away. Uh, I'll also point out that heavy weapons in this game handle better than most heavy weapons in other games. And understand, I am talking about Assassin's Creed games and other games that have that distinction with a heavy weapon. Now, they're not too slow in this game. Now, don't get me wrong, they have some weight to them and they are slower, but you can really get into some good combos and good fights. I love it. Because, and this is to Ubisoft's credit, they found a great way to 
make that upgrade system and unlocking new abilities and skills all the more better because that combat just gets better and better. For me, it is the best combat in the series. I have to say that. And I'm a huge fan of the Assassin's Creed 3, Rogue, and 4 combat as well. Now for me, I also found a combo that I loved using. I loved using the axe from the very beginning of the game and I would pick a hammer and those would be my go-to and I would tear people up with those. I loved it, but I would constantly be swapping out for a heavy weapon as well. And man, I just, I don't know, there were so many awesome combos that you could use of weapons in this game that I just enjoyed the combat so much. There is an issue, and I would have to say with dual welding, is there's no quick switch, there's no quick hit buttons or anything like that, hotkeys. Uh, for example, there's different bow types. Now, I was a big fan of the hunter bow, and one of the things about it is I liked using that when I was roaming the world, when I was kind of being stealthy, but the moment I got into combat, I wanted that light bow. But the only way to switch is to go into the menu and go into your screen and then go to pick you know like there's no just like oh let me switch bows real quick so i wish that would have been changed now in this game let me also point out you will be upgrading your weapons and your armor and this requires you to go and find the right materials in the world which again is part of why i tried to clear everything out in every area i was in now you can upgrade in both the in-game menu, which is what consists of using your leather and your minerals and other items, and this is going to improve that weapon or that armor stats, making it cause more damage, protect you, increase your health, whatever it may be. But if you want to raise that maximum upgrade slots, or add ruins, or even unlock new abilities for it, that's when you have to go to your clan member who can only be found at Raventhorpe. It's also only at Raventhorpe with your clan member that you can use Transmog, which Transmog is that ability they introduced it in odyssey it's a great ability where you take whatever armor or weapon that you really enjoy but you use the skin of a different armor or weapon so that you can have a cool look for it, but you still get the the weapon you like i love it it's cool you do have to pay for it in this game but in all honesty money wise if you're clearing a lot of stuff out you're going to be pretty rich pretty early in this game so i never really found that to be too much of an issue However, I will point out that once I got to the point of upgrading and really could afford to do these things, I rarely bought weapons in the game, which there's actually not a lot. You're not going to constantly be picking up weapons, but they do sell them throughout the world. But then let's talk about upgrading Eivor himself or herself. As you complete missions, side missions, as you go hunting, all of this, you're going to be earning experience points. Now, these points are called skill points, and what these do is you're going to spend them in one of three different skill trees and you'll be using to unlock new skills or stat buffs. As you spend them, your power level increases. Now I say that because if you have, if you're at power level 20 and you have 10 of them, you don't go to power level 30 until you actually spend those points. So don't let them just sit there. Now what I absolutely love about all of this, there's no world scaling. I love that. When you look at the map and it tells you what level is recommended for you to go in that region, that lets you know how strong those enemies are so if you're power level 200 and you're looking at a part on the map and it says you know 220 you're gonna have a rough time anything 20 levels or above that's when it starts to get really tough however if you're power level 300 looking at that 220 you're gonna tear stuff up and if you're power level 400 looking at a 220 you're gonna be a god walking across there i love that because for me when you take the time to do everything and you start powering up and all this stuff, you feel that sense of progression. 
you get to go in there and you actually feel like you've done something. You've earned something. I never like it when enemies scale with you because I never feel like I improve. I've just unlocked a new skill here or there. So I love the way that they make you feel powerful and it kind of rewards you for spending all that time and that dedication clearing out the world. But guys, let's take a second to just talk about Ravensthorpe, and that's your settlement. As I've said, you'll be upgrading this as you play. You'll be buying new areas, which in turn gets you buffs when you hold a feast. The feast costs a little bit of money, but the best part about this is the more you upgrade and you earn those buffs, these buffs at last several real-world hours. I think it's around two hours or something like that. That goes a long way when it's increasing your health and your stamina and whatever it may be. The supplies earned from completing raids and completing story arcs, this goes into how you do the upgrades. Now, this game also has it set up where you're not going to fully upgrade your settlement until you've completed the game. As you complete story arcs, you're going to see more people come to Raventhorpe as you invite them, as you become friends with them and whatnot. The more you interact with these followers, you may actually get some more of these side missions to go on. They're all pretty cool, pretty fun. You're also going to use Raventhorpe. You'll go there, and that's where you'll decide what story arc you want to go to. There's a war table. You go to Randiv, and you'll say, yo, I want to claim my alliance here. And you'll that's how you'll pick which one you want to go to and go start it. Overall, I do love this idea. I love how it was implemented. I wish there was a monetary system involved other than you just spending money. Like, I wish, you know, you could collect some money from people being there and selling stuff. You know, if you think about something like what they did in, like, Assassin's Creed 2. But it doesn't take away from this game. It's a lot of fun. I hope to see something like this expanded even more in future games. But guys, let's talk about what you're going to be doing in this game. There's three major types of side content. First off is blue, and those are world events. Then there's gold, which those are treasures, and there's white, which stands for artifacts. Now let me just say this, white is actually hard to see sometimes on the map. Just be aware, there's probably some artifacts you got to really pay attention to that map to find. Blue events... To me, they're better than normal side missions. These world events are very quick. A lot of times it's just talking with somebody and doing something really small. It doesn't involve, for the most part, going off and doing anything crazy. It can be fighting somebody, having a Viking rap battle. It can be all kind of fun stuff, but they're pretty quick stuff. And I enjoy that because sometimes I felt like in Origins and Odyssey, man, it would just be so in-depth on these side content that you'd spend hours just trying to complete one. But one of my new favorite things in this series is the Animus glitch that they introduce in this game. To me, it's a lot of fun. It reminds me a lot of the truth in Assassin's Creed 2, if you remember that. But in this game, it's it's a cool little glitch. You'll see the world going crazy. You'll find something in the middle. When you interact with it, it switches to a platforming-type puzzle. Once you complete it, you get a little segment of a video. Trust me, you're going to want to complete that all the way through. There's also Assassin's Hideouts, which are like puzzles, trying to get around, trying to figure out what's going on there. You definitely want to read the codexes you'll find there. And when you turn them all in, you want to follow up on what Hatham says. He's going to give you a suggestion to go read something. Go read it. It's awesome. There's Treasures of Britannia, which I thought were awesome. Again, these are just more hidden things you got to find in the world. Now, when it comes to wealth, that's usually new gear, weapons, or books of knowledge where you'll learn a new ability. White are your collectibles. There's Roman art and there's tattoos. And I will say this, as much as I love the Animus glitch, I did not like chasing tattoos. Chasing tattoos is very much a callback to Assassin's Creed 3 where you'd be chasing Ben Franklin's almanac pages. The problem with that is it highlights that while parkour works in this trilogy, the last three games 
hasn't relied on it as much as before. Yeah, you might need to climb up something here and there, but as far as like free running and climbing and all of that stuff, we haven't really done that. I mean, if you think about Origins and Odyssey and even this game, there's not a lot of verticality when it comes to buildings and things like that. Too many times chasing these tattoos and you got to be quick. I didn't feel like the controls were tight enough. I feel like I'd be pointing directly where I wanted to go and the game would have me jump in the complete opposite way. That was frustrating. And then when you combine that just in the world climbing up stuff, sometimes Eivor would just seem like he was just stuck on nothing. It really kind of sticks out in my mind that, ah, oh, the parkour, it's not as tight as it was in, like, say, Unity. And that really only affects you when a game throws a mini game in there where it needs to be good. And I felt like that was a weak point. Raids, they're in this game. That was a big hype before. And I will say they're a ton of fun. They are limited. You're not going to have a whole unlimited unless you do the raids that come with the DLC that it came out. Uh, but you'll get a lot of supplies to build up your settlement from these. They're just an action-packed time. I enjoyed it. I thought it was really cool rolling in with your group of people next to you and taking a bunch of guys out. I have to say I love the system that they implemented here. I think it's a lot better than just the overabundance that they had in odyssey and i like the fact that there's a lot of variety with this one but i will say i do think ubisoft could do more with less by the end of 175 hours i was really feeling like most areas they just had more than they needed again not saying i didn't want to do these things but i didn't need to do multiple of them in every area but there is one side thing i do want to highlight i want to point it out there at the end of this and that is Orlog. It's a new dice game in this, and I gotta say, it is extremely addicting, especially once you kinda get the idea of how it plays. I absolutely loved it. I had a ton of fun with the game. Really, once you start beating people and you get their godly powers that you can use in the game, oh man, some of them are so good. My only regret is I wish, man, I wish Ubisoft would've kind of done what Witcher 3 did with Gwent, where they have the individual people you can play, but then they have these Gwent tournaments, I wish there was Orlog tournaments in this game because because it is just that much fun to play this game. Guys, let's talk about the trophies. How did I like it? Uh, let me just say the trophies. I was able to get the Platinum Trophy in this game. For the most part, I felt like it was pretty straightforward. It's completing story arcs, side content, etc. Uh, I didn't feel like any was too grindy, and I was kind of worried because one is for collecting one of every type of fish out in the world. And to be honest with you, by the time I got done playing the game and just occasionally fishing here and there... I had got all but two, and it took me maybe 20 minutes to do. There's a few side ones to do, dealing with combat and whatnot. But overall, I thought it was a really good list. I feel like if you're willing to put the time in and play the game, you can get the Platinum pretty easily. But now let's talk about that fun factor. And I gotta say this, I've said it a few times. I wanted to footstomp 175 hours. But you know what, let me just say that if I had access to the DLC expansions right now, I would jump on them. I mean, honestly, I just had that much fun with this game in fact i'd say i probably had the most fun with an assassin's creed game since assassin's creed syndicate guys let's talk about the review score and you know what this is a great game to be honest i did have a few glitches i had moments where the game would freeze for a few seconds i had moments where avor would go flying into space i even had an issue where it was telling me it couldn't recognize my save file so make sure you save often and save in different spaces hulking yoda jinxed me on that one and you know what, these are things that when I looked up, it's like, okay, a lot of people are having these, so I don't know why they haven't been ironed out as of now, but I gotta say, the biggest distractor to this game score is its length. I don't have a problem with any of the content here. As I stated, there were zero story arcs that I didn't like, or I felt didn't fit in. 
but one of the things a game director has to do is make cuts. I feel like this game could have been streamlined in a few places. But that being said, there is so much good here in this game. It is, in my opinion, the best overall of the last three games making up this trilogy. I love the story, the characters, and how they not only embrace the present day, but they also have me dying to know what is going to happen next with it. And that is something that honestly has not happened since Assassin's Creed Syndicate. I am giving Assassin's Creed Valhalla a 9.25. This is a fantastic game. Now, I told you I would tell you where it places in my Assassin's Creed ranking. Let me just say it has dethroned Assassin's Creed Syndicate as my favorite of the series. There is one thing that slightly bugs me about putting a game starring Eivor as my number one in the series, but I can't speak to that without ruining it and making a spoiler of it. But guys, at the end of the day, this has been my favorite Assassin's Creed game. Guys, I hope you enjoyed this review for Assassin's Creed Valhalla. I've put all this time into it. I love this game. I hope it shines through. And I hope if you were on the fence about playing it, this convinced you to play it. But more importantly, I hope you reach out to me and I hope you let me know what you thought about this game. And you can reach out to me at thegraveyardgamer at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram at thegraveyardgamer or you can find me on Twitter at thegraveyardg. Till next time, everybody, I'll be creeping around the graveyard. <laughs> <laughs>